Well, good morning. It's good to see you all. Uh, I had one of those incredible Saturdays yesterday uh, where I, and some of you are ahead of me and you're thinking I got to take a nap. I mean, just all kinds of wonderful things come in your mind. This was one of those days that was just full of celebration, and it was amazing. Uh, early in the afternoon, uh, got to officiate the wedding for Albert McLeod and Lindy Smith. They are a part of Westridge, come to first service. Uh, and then in the evening, Connie and I got to spend some time with some very good friends celebrating this transition in their life. And both celebrations, the wedding and then the one in the evening, were celebrations that marked the end of one chapter in life and the start of a brand new one. And these couples will always be able to look back at that day, that celebration, as a milestone. It helped it will help them remember and continue to celebrate what's going on in their lives. I think the Bible describes baptism in much the same way. Baptism is this celebration. It marks the ending and a new beginning in our spiritual journey. I think the memory of our baptism, once you're baptized, it is one of those things that's just anchored in your head. It stands there joyfully, defiantly at times reminding us that we do, in fact, belong to God. Baptism gives us this tether to our identity as God's sons and daughters. It enables us to lean into his grace, to trust him. And it helps us, especially when those doubts and fears come into our head and shout, you don't belong to God. So this morning, I want us to spend just a few minutes thinking about, talking about this whole idea of baptism. And understandably, that may not seem like an exciting topic on the surface when I first throw it out there. But I think given the importance that we see in the New Testament and that Jesus placed on baptism in his own life and then in his teaching and practice, I think it's just good for us periodically to stop and take another look at this topic. If you have any kind of a church background, you grew up in any kind of a church at all, you more than likely have some beliefs, you have some uh, opinions, you have some uh, ideas about baptism and what it means and how it ought to be done. And I think if we're honest, for the most of us, I know it was true for me until I was like in my 30s, we have those beliefs simply because of the tradition we grew up in. We haven't taken time to really dig into Scripture or history and understand this practice of baptism. For me, I grew up in a very conservative church, very conservative church. And they had a very specific set of beliefs about what baptism means. They also had very specific beliefs about how it should be done and when it should be done. And even growing up, they were so strict about it that the leaders of the church taught we were the only ones who were right about baptism and everybody else was wrong, which is really a pretty arrogant view of almost anything in life. Uh, It was so much entrenched in the churches I grew up in that I have an uncle who was a pastor and at one point he refused to even be part of a Billy Graham crusade to just go and help because he had significant disagreements with the whole organization about this view of baptism. That's how entrenched it was in the churches I grew up in. If you were raised with strong family beliefs like I was, uh, then you know that sometimes these discussions about baptism can be emotionally charged. 
It's kind of like you raise the issue and you try to talk about it. And it's like nitro meets glycerin. There's this big explosion that goes on. And God forbid you should ever think about changing your mind. Because if you do, then there are people around you who think, oh, so what you're saying is, I was wrong about this my whole life. So it's not the church that was wrong, it's me that was wrong, and it's a personal thing now. And yet I found, as I think about my own life over the last 20 years or so, my personal understanding and beliefs about baptism have changed. They've grown, just as I have grown in my faith in Jesus. And I think the most helpful thing in that entire journey, for me, over those years, is to, when I approach the subject, just try to step outside of what I already believe, step out of my traditions and feelings, and just take a solid look at what the Bible says and what it doesn't say about baptism, and really wrestle with that. And so that's what I want us to do this morning in the context of following Jesus as best we can. Nearly every church that I know of baptizes people. They have agreement on this simple fact that we should. They do it in different ways and at different stages of life. They do it because it's something that Jesus very specifically said he wanted his followers to do. Jesus was just about to wrap up his earthly ministry, go back to his Father in heaven. It was after the crucifixion. He had his closest followers around them. And the very last words he said to them were these. I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There it is. Jesus commanded that wherever people were, whenever they encountered his truth, whenever they began to understand his teaching, they made it a part of their personal life. They accepted Jesus. It was this important step that he wanted them to follow, to be baptized. In the New Testament, if you go on into from the Gospels into the book of Acts, you find there are lots of examples of that there and how baptism was a significant part of the early church. Every church virtually that I know of agrees that we should be baptized. But from that initial point of agreement, the teachings and the opinions go all over the place. So when I think about baptism, I started with this one basic question Where in the world did it get started? Because it's unique. There's not much like it anywhere else in society or in culture. So how did this practice of baptism get its origin? The logical conclusion, you know, was when I was a kid was, well, I think Jesus started it, you know? So he just created this thing, and it's this unique thing in our relationship with him. Not so much. Baptism was actually around for about 400 years before Jesus was even born. People uh, would come and live in uh, Israel. They'd get familiar with the Jewish faith. Sometimes they would live in another region of the world where there was this concentration of Jewish people, and they would just get curious about this whole Judaism thing and what it was. It stood out as unique. One of the unique characteristics of it was in that culture that the Jews believe there is only one God. And that stood starkly in contrast with the predominant Greek culture of those days. So they got curious. They checked it out. They went to a local synagogue. They went to the temple and tried to engage in worship. But they found out quickly that the laws and practices of the Jewish faith wouldn't allow them to fully engage because they weren't born Jewish. And so they would listen and they'd 
have this hunger. And over time, the religious leaders developed this process where anyone who wasn't born Jewish, the Bible refers to us as Gentiles, uh, anybody who was a Gentile could convert to Judaism so that you could actually worship and participate fully in the faith. Now, there are lots of different literature about what that process, lots of writings about that process and what it looked like with lots of different steps. But if you bring them together, you start to see some common threads running through all of those processes. The first one is that if you're a man, you're going to have to have a little surgery. You're going to have to get circumcised. And just my opinion, I think that naturally led to more female than male converts to Judaism. I don't have that as a fact. I just, I think it had to turn a lot of guys off. So here it is, men. You want to become a Jew? You have to be circumcised. Now, circumcision is where, you know, I'm not going to do that. I'm trusting you all know what circumcision is this morning. Not going to explain it. Uh, you can see Darren afterwards if you have questions. <laughs> Actually, I think that's your net message next week. The whole message is on circumcision, right? No, no. Uh, so anyway, after circumcision, then you would participate in a covenant meal. It was actually one of seven feasts and celebrations that God had ordained for the Jewish faith all throughout the year. And so you would just share in one of those, like Passover, as one more step, one more sign that you were converting to the Jewish faith. And then you get some divergence in the list from that point. You have some saying that you have to memorize large chunks of Scripture. Some said just the law. Some said you have to memorize the entire Old Testament before you can convert. Some of them said you had to make a sacrifice as a part of your conversion process. And they, but they all seem to come back together at this one really interesting experience. As a final, final step of converting to Judaism, you had to go through a ceremonial washing. And it represented this spiritual cleansing that was happening. You were basically saying by doing this, I'm washing away my former self. I'm washing away the fact that I had another faith, another set of beliefs that I lived by. And I'm cleansing myself of that old way of life and identifying with the God of the Jews. The one true God. I'm going to worship and serve Him. Now in the regions of the world where Greek was the primary language that was spoken... The term that they used for this washing, the Greek term was baptizo. And it's actually the English word that we translate as baptize. It was not a new word. It wasn't something that they came up with and created. It was actually a very common word that was used in their day. So they would uh, take a piece of cloth that they wanted to dye a different color. And they would baptizo it. They would take... uh, dishes that needed to be washing after the meal and you'd just go to where you wash dishes and you'd baptizo them it was a washing word that was common in the culture but they did attach a new meaning to it a very special religious connotation the idea that when you got baptized cleansed you were taking on this new jewish faith as the rule of life Now, that was a 400-year backdrop to AD 30 where John the Baptist comes on the scene. John was this uh, different teacher. He wasn't like any of the other teachers of that day. He had this wild-eyed, crazy thing about him. He lived out in the desert. He wore animal skins. Um, 
He ate locusts and honey for his meals. He was kind of a Bear Grylls before Bear Grylls was born, right? And people would go out and they would listen to John just sharing this very simple message. Repent. Change your life. Because God is about to do something incredibly unique and different. Something that's never been born in history. Don't get it out. Something that's never been done in history is going to happen right here among us. And if you don't get your life lined up with God, there's a real good chance you're going to miss it. And when people heard his teaching, they did this interesting thing. John would be teaching and he'd say, if you're at a point where you want to repent, if you're at a point where you want to change your life, I want you to come down into the water with me and be baptized. Now, the Bible doesn't give us all the logistics. It doesn't describe how he baptized. But it does tell us that he baptized. And when the writers of the New Testament were telling that story, they were searching for a word to describe what John did. They chose that word, baptizo. John did this so much. It was such a consistent part of his ministry that he eventually got a nickname. They called him John the Baptist, John the Baptizer. It was just who he was, and it was a part of his message. Now, it was this this significant way of John's followers saying, I want to be baptized because I believe what you're saying is true. I want to follow your teachings. And it's not enough for me to just stand on the riverbank and nod my head in agreement. I'm going to go public. I'm going to take this physical step of being baptized because I believe in you. The religious leaders of John's day, the Pharisees, heard what John was doing and and heard that these large crowds were gathering, hundreds and thousands of people, to listen to John and be baptized with him. So they went out to listen, and the more they listened, the more their questions came. And eventually, one of them speaks up and says, John, are you the Messiah? Are you the one that God is going to send? And he quickly said, no, that's not me. I'm pointing towards that person. And what's fascinating is that one day as John was baptizing, he looked up in the crowd and he saw Jesus. And he pointed Jesus out to everyone and said, there, look, that's the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sins of the world. The Bible says that Jesus made his way through the crowd and went down in the water with John and asked John to baptize him, and he did. I am convinced that the people who are watching that on the riverbank didn't fully grasp the understanding of what was taking place in front of them. This was more than Jesus just saying, I believe in what John's teaching and you should too. This was more than Jesus just simply being baptized. This was the first thing that Jesus did in launching his ministry, his mission from God to save the world. The Bible tells us that shortly after that time, Jesus and his disciples then went out into the countryside around the Judean countryside, and Jesus was teaching. And as people said, I believe what you're teaching, Jesus. I am am listening to your message, and it's resonating in my heart. I believe you're the Messiah. I believe you're the one from God. That Jesus' disciples would then baptize people as an evidence of their new belief. 
That's the history of how baptism came to be. It's this 450 year or so history of the creation of this concept of baptism as a way that people identified with Jesus and his message. It wasn't a new thing. It had been done for hundreds of years. Jesus taught it. He practiced it throughout his ministry, and he attached a new significance to baptism than had ever been there before. It became this cool way to drive a stake in the ground and say, I believe, and I'm going to follow. And then just before Jesus left this earth, as I read a minute ago, he gathered all of his followers together, and he said, look, I want you to go out there and tell everybody everything you can remember about what I've taught you in the time that I've been with you. And when they subscribe to this way of thinking, when they decide to become my disciple and my follower, it's not enough that they make this interpersonal decision. They need to go public. I want to see evidence on the outside, so I want you to baptize them. The simple fact that Jesus bookended his ministry began with John baptizing him, and some of the last words he said before he left this earth, that those were about baptism, I think adds an incredible weight of importance to this whole topic. It's something we need to pay attention to and practice in our own lives. What we believe and what we practice here at Westridge about baptism, I think can be summarized in four statements that I want to share with you this morning. And I think along the way, what I'll do too is address a couple of questions that I hear when I'm in conversations about baptism with people here at Westridge. The first thing I would say is this, baptism affirms we believe in God's promises. Colossians 2 explains God's promises to us this way. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. When we're baptized, it is this personal affirmation of these central truths of the gospel. That God loved us and made a decision about us before we were ever born that he would forgive us of everything we have ever done. And that forgiveness comes not because of anything that we do. It comes because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, God's gift to us. Baptism is this once and for all statement that we believe that Jesus is who he said he was, and we believe in his teachings and want to follow them. Second, I would say baptism, as we believe and practice it here, comes out of a personal decision to follow Jesus. In Acts chapter 2, we find Peter standing up and delivering the very first message as the church was launched uh, on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem. And in that, Peter says, Each one of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. That act of repenting, and confessing Jesus and being baptized, that pattern is, is repeated throughout the New Testament. You'll find it, uh, that when people learned the truth about Jesus and chose to follow him, they repented. They left their old beliefs behind. They adopted this new way of life. And then based on the examples we find in Scripture, we believe that baptism then follows that personal decision to commit to Jesus. To be just perfectly honest and answer one of the questions I often hear, uh, it's why we don't practice infant baptism here. 
We believe, based on the Bible's examples, that people need to be of an age where they can make that decision for themselves. It happens for some kids when they're really young. I was baptized when I was seven, and I understood it completely. I was making a personal decision. But even when kids here reach that age, we recognize that it's such an important decision for their life that our kids' ministry works really hard to have great conversations with both the kids and the parents to make sure the kids understand who Jesus is, this commitment they're making to him before they're baptized. Now, another one of those questions that I get sometimes is, so you don't practice infant baptism, but I was baptized as an infant. Do I need to be baptized again, or what's going on with that? So let me just say this. If you were baptized as an infant in whatever faith tradition you came from, I think your parents did a wonderful thing for you and in your life. I have talked to lots of parents who've done that, and they just say, honestly, it was one of those things we did too that was with a hope, with our prayers, that our child would eventually grow up and make their own decision to follow Jesus. And that's a huge blessing in your life. doesn't mean your parents did anything wrong by baptizing you as an infant. But we just believe in practice here at Westridge that, that baptism needs to be a personal decision. Our own choice, our own commitment to Jesus that we make. Now, admittedly, we have a different theological perspective and practice than a lot of faith traditions. doesn't mean we're right. We're not standing up here saying we have all the truth and everybody else is wrong. But what I will say to you is you need to wrestle that to the ground for yourself. Make your personal commitment about baptism and its place in your life. We've wrestled through it as a church, but it's your place with your relationship with God to wrestle through that. Because ultimately, we believe baptism is a public decision about our personal faith. Baptism is this dramatic display of this epic spiritual story that's going on inside of us. And if you've been around for a baptism here at Westridge, you know that we baptize by immersion. We dunk people completely under the water. We do that because after studying the scriptures in early church history, we think that's probably the way that most people were baptized. We also recognize that the imagery that scripture paints around baptism matches up with that mode. Like in Romans 6, where Paul writes, Have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and we were buried with Christ in baptism. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, we now also may live new lives. So when we're lowered into the water in baptism here, it is an identification with Jesus' death for us that takes away our sins. We're raised up out of the water. We identify with his resurrection. And it says we're being raised out of the water for new life in Christ. One more really important thing that I would say that we believe about baptism is this. It is not a condition of your salvation. It is merely an evidence of it. We're not baptized so we can begin a relationship with Jesus. We're not baptized so that we can receive God's grace. If we did that, then that would mean we're doing something to earn grace. And that is actually completely contrary to Scripture's teaching on 
grace. I would say, too, that unlike the church I grew up in, we don't teach baptism as this spiritual gotcha, you know? We all have this image of dying, going to heaven, we're standing at the pearly gates, and Peter asks us a question, right? And if you answer, no, I wasn't baptized, he's, he's not, it's not like that's the one question that determines whether you get into heaven or not. You know, you weren't baptized, I mean, you go straight to hell, you don't pass go, you don't collect $200. It's not a spiritual gotcha. Baptism is simply a celebration of God's grace that we have already received through faith in Jesus. We're baptized because we've made a commitment to follow him. We get baptized as this simple yet profound act of obedience. And if you're from another background, another faith, if you were baptized at a point in your life and you weren't immersed, people ask the question, well, should I get rebaptized?" Here's what I would say to that. If you understood that that baptism was a decision that you were making, and that by being baptized you were identifying with Christ's death, burial, resurrection, you wanted to follow him, if that was the choice you made and you were baptized, we don't think you need to be baptized again. I don't think it's important for us to get hung up on the how we're baptized. Yes, we immerse people. Yes, we dunk people here at Westridge, but we are convinced that God is far more concerned about the condition of our hearts than he is the amount of water that's used when we're baptized. Our salvation comes from one and one, one and only one place. The Bible says that it comes from the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. By that, we have been saved from our sin. And with baptism, we make this public declaration that our old life is gone. We've crossed into a new way of living. We need baptism. I am absolutely convinced every one of us needs baptism in our life as this milestone in our spiritual journey. Because we all are going to have or already have moments where we tend to believe that we haven't changed. That we're still the same old us. Nothing's new. And we don't belong to God. We have voices in our heads that scream. We're not loved the way we think we are. In baptism, you ask anybody who's ever gone through it, in baptism you have this amazing, joy-filled moment where you can step down into the water and you can physically, tangibly, feel God's grace wash over you. And though our sins may continue to pursue us the rest of our life, baptism stands out as this point in history that we can remember. It is that definitive act that constantly reminds us that our sins have been drowned in the grace of Jesus. We've been renamed. We've been reclaimed. We've been adopted by God. We are his sons and daughters you've never been baptized not a part of your journey I can't encourage you strongly enough to be a part of our next baptism on October 9th there's time in here for you to think through, have conversations about what you believe, what you're struggling with, any questions that you've got, don't put the questions off 
engage in this defiant act of protest against the old life, against the voices that pursue us. Be baptized. Tell the whole world that your heart and your life belong to Jesus.